0: Isaiah chapter 62, verses 1 to 5. Zion's new name. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate but you will be called Hepzibah, and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you
1: second reading is taken from John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. You may think you've heard something similar to this before, but here is the official version. Jesus changes water to wine. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Thanks be to God.
2: Amen. Amen. How are we to understand the miracle stories in our present day and age? Just bear with me one second. Um, For Christmas, uh, one of my colleagues bought me this Cana of Galilee Cana wedding wine um, um, I'm not sure how much it costs um, but I suspect it's something that you get on the tourist trail and that's about it. Is this the reason for the miracle stories that we have nice little gimmicks to sell uh, when you go out to the Holy Land? Is, is that the sole reason? We need to remember um, the story of Jesus turning water into wine, it only features in the one Gospel. It only features in the Gospel of John. Um, The synoptics do not back it up at all. And when John is using the miracles, he's he's using them for a deliberate purpose, uh, that he wants them to be markers, effectively, uh, for identifying who Jesus is. That they are supposed to be something that compels us to faith almost that they are pieces of evidence and yet it's weird that John is the one using miracles in that way and yet at the end of the gospel of John we have that interaction between Jesus and Thomas where what is the nature of faith it's those who haven't seen whose faith is supposedly the stronger so Why do we have the miracle stories? It's almost as if there's an inherent contradiction playing around within John's gospel. And let's be honest, for each of us, we go through those parts of our lives where we aspire for the miraculous, um, I remember as a, a child constantly thinking, I haven't done my homework, I hope the teacher's off sick today so I get off with it, and praying fervently uh, for that, um, I'm seeing some nods, uh, I think one or two of you clearly did that as well. We want the God who will intervene to make us feel better, the God who will uh, deal with things, the God who will deal with Donald Trump or w- whatever, sort out Brexit um, Maybe there are some things that even God will struggle with. Um, We want the miraculous. We want the intervening. And so if we take this at face value, then what we learn from this story is that Jesus is exactly the kind of person you want at your party. Let's be honest. Um, You know, he'll turn the water into wine. He might even turn bad wine into good wine. He's probably an AA meeting's worst nightmare as a result, if you think about it from that perspective. John intends this reading somehow to be a symbol of something of the nature of the glory of the the love of God. Geoffrey John, uh, the New Testament scholar, um, wants us instead to to try and view the miracle stories, and not just the turning of water into wine, and not just John's miracle stories, but all of the miracle stories as, as kind of enacted parables. That we could view them just from that, well, God works miracles, isn't that marvelous? And then not actually wrestle with the meaning. Or we can try and interrogate the text much more to try and work out that there might actually be a number of different meanings, a number of different interpretations in them. So that just in the same way that we might go to to the parable of the Good Samaritan and pick out different meanings each time we go to it, that actually when we go and we interrogate the stories of the miracles, likewise we can come away with different meanings. So, for example, you might go to the story of Jesus turning water into wine and and focus in on the quality of the wine as a symbol of God's generosity. You might want to focus on those jars of purification, and John spends a lot of time, if you look at it, describing those jars. a bit odd, really. So, is this Jesus fulfilling or overturning the ritual laws? Is that how we need to interpret it? You might want to focus on wine and think about communion, maybe of Jesus as the new wine. Maybe you want to pair Jesus turning the water into wine with uh, the statement also in John's Gospel where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Maybe there's something in there that will help you to explore the meaning. You might want to focus in on the interaction between Jesus and his mother and look at your own family life or indeed reflect upon what does Jesus mean when he says, my hour has not yet come. We can go to it and keep finding new ways of looking at the story. For me... I have to confess, this is one of my favorite stories, and not just because I I like the old glass of wine, um, although that might be an ulterior motive behind it, but for me also, it's in the very human nature of the interactions in the story. It's the conversation between Jesus and his mother, and, and we see those kind of conversations between parents and their children all the time. But also it's in the way that you have the the interaction between the the chief wine steward and the waiters and and everyone else and and the the groom. It's a very human story. And that actually, in the playing of it out, that we can find new ways of, of looking at that. That chief steward... He's an interesting guy. He's got his own prejudices and they play out so that he only has a limited understanding of what's going on. His prejudice gets in the way of understanding. Years back uh, in the 1980s, there was a, a band called The Eurythmics and uh, they wrote a song and I misheard the lyrics... I thought they were singing, there must have been a ninja playing with my heart. And for years, I disregarded the Eurythmics as utterly stark staring bonkers. Because, let's be honest, ninjas don't play with your heart. They help James Bond defeat Blofeld. That's what a ninja is there for. And it took me years to realise that actually they were singing about, there must have been an angel playing with my heart. And suddenly it all made a lot more sense. My prejudice meant I disregarded them for years. Now, you might say, no great loss there, but actually they're not too bad. The prejudice gets in the way of understanding. This chief steward, all he has to do to actually understand what's going on is to ask the other waiters, but they are of a lower social status than him. Why would I even bother considering their opinion? So instead, he goes straight off to the groom. What are you playing at? Serving decent wine now, when you should have been serving that at the beginning of the wedding. What are you playing at? His prejudice, his disregard for the social status of those beneath him means that he, he gets in the way of true understanding. There'll be no meeting for him with Jesus And the bridegroom hasn't got a clue what he is talking about. The bridegroom and the chief steward, therefore, in their conversation, still do not understand. And there is no notion from John's Gospel that they achieve an understanding of what goes on. It is those behind the scenes, those whom everyone else would deem as lowly, who actually get to work out what's going on. I don't know if any of you ever saw the film Gosford Park and in that you have this sort of interaction in a a stately home and it's, it's the servants who actually see everything and know everything that's going on. The upper echelons of society haven't got a clue even when murders are taking place around them. It is those of lowly status who see and observe everything. Had the chief waiter the humility and the foresight to ask around a bit more rather than jumping to conclusions, he might have found out what had truly happened. He might have had that chance for an encounter with Jesus. The first sign, as far as John is concerned, takes place at a wedding banquet And throughout the whole of the Gospels, we see constantly of images of of banquets, of the kingdom of God being like a banquet to which all people are welcome, that Christ is the bountiful host. Maybe there's something in that that we can go and take to explore the story of Jesus turning water into wine, of Christ and of God's abundance of generosity overflowing we are, as I said, in the middle of the week for prayer for Christian unity. How much is the church actually guilty of behaving like that chief steward? That we view ecumenism as a dialogue, but only a dialogue where everyone else has to accept our perspective. We're not really going to mix with those who we think are a bit beneath us. We don't really want to be challenged by their perspectives And maybe at times we miss out on so much as a result. I must confess there are times where I feel when I'm in conversations with some of my ecumenical colleagues that I'm bashing my head against a brick wall because where is the give and take? Where is the you tell me your truth and let me tell you mine and let's learn from one another, let's truly share? How many of us want the banquet where it's all just for ourselves and where we behave like the chief should, and therefore we might miss out on Jesus because we're too proud to ask? Some of the times where I have learned most about faith have been those moments where I've been encouraged to go and just sit and listen to those who interpret faith in a different way from the people called Methodists. I remember when I was doing my training in Cambridge, we were a theological federation of many different denominations, and being able to sit in a Russian Orthodox service, not understanding necessarily anything that was going on, but the sense of power from that will stay with me for the rest of my life, of of realising that people of different traditions, wildly different cultures, and yet still worshipping the same God... Or I could talk about the Jewish-Christian-Muslim conference I went on, sitting in Jewish and Muslim morning prayers and that sense of still worshipping the same God despite all of the tensions and having to overcome all of those difficulties that are there in global politics and everything else. Those experiences enriched my own faith of opening myself up to learning from others. Yet too often we behave like the chief steward. We don't want to talk with those whom we deem as beneath us and we miss out on so much as a result. The disciples, they hear the testimony of those servants, of those waiters. And from them hearing from them... It starts their process of transforming their understanding of Jesus. So in this week of prayer for Christian unity, let us pray, not just for ourselves, but for the whole church, that we all have the necessary humility to truly listen to those who might be very different from us and be willing to learn from them. And may I suggest also that our country needs to start being willing to listen to those whom we don't agree with. Because the tensions that are riven through our country at this precise moment are all down to a sheer arrogance on everyone's part of not being willing to listen to those whom we think are beneath us or who we just disagree with. It is in opening ourselves up to learning from one another, that we gain new understanding. If that chief steward had only had some humility, he might have met truly with Christ. May God give us the humility we need to listen this week and forevermore. Amen.